Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Thursday, October 21st, 2021. On today's episode of the show, we're going to be talking about the latest film and TV news. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm a senior writer at SlashFilm.com, and I'm joined on today's episode by Slash Film senior writer and chief film critic, Chris Mangelista. Hello. All right, guys. So four news items that we wanted to discuss today. Uh, first up, this is really brief. Uh, I wanted to mention this because I think Brad and I, maybe, I don't remember who I was speaking with now, but we talked about this on a recent episode of the podcast, how we were hoping that big uh, theater chains might actually institute screenings where there are uh, uh, captions or essentially closed captioning on the screen. And uh, AMC actually made that announcement uh, I think very recently, maybe even this morning, um, that I think 240 of its locations in more than a hundred markets in the United States are adding open captioning to certain showings. So, uh, you can read more about that at slash I just thought it was a cool little follow-up to something, a brief conversation that we had on the podcast before. This is really awesome, obviously for those who are deaf and hard of hearing. Um, and, uh, and yeah, like I, you know, I think we've talked about on the podcast as well that like, I, I tend to watch almost everything with subtitles these days. It's just, uh, a, a habit that I've fallen into that I really appreciate. And, um, and yeah, having this as an option in, uh, major like multiplexes is a really cool thing. So just wanted to point that out. Um, all right, uh, Chris, any, any thoughts on that at all? Uh, uh yeah, I'm, I'm all for it. I mean, uh, I don't watch things with subtitles all the time, but there are definitely times where I appreciate them. Like when I saw uh, Dune at the uh, Toronto Film Festival, I really wish I had had captions because for one thing, everything in Dune is very dense and they use all those weird terms. <laughs> and for another thing, the the sound mix, at least when I saw it, was, was like uh, worse than Tenet in the sense that all the effects and stuff were really loud and all the dialogue was like, mum, 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 and I was <sighs> like, boy, I sure wish I had some subtitles because I don't know what half of these people are saying. Uh, yeah. That's one of the reasons that I'm, I know like everybody, this is probably like even a blasphemous thing to say, but I know that everybody has been, been saying like, if you're going to see Dune, go see it on the biggest theater screen possible. But it comes to HBO max tonight. And 
I already subscribed to HBO Max and I have a pretty decent TV and and a good, you know, setup. And I think I might just watch it at home, Chris, yeah. because the subtitle option is right there and it's essentially free to me, you know? Yeah, I mean, it looks great on the big screen, but I'm definitely going to rewatch it on HBO Max just so I can watch it with subtitles on because I know there's there's shit I missed. Yeah. Um, all right. So let's talk a little bit about uh, the Hellraiser franchise. There are competing Hellraiser projects in the works and David Gordon Green has commented on that. So tell me a little bit about what's going on here, Chris. Yeah. So there is a new Hellraiser movie coming to Hulu that's going to be directed by David Bruckner, who directed uh, the recent horror movie, um, The Night House. But meanwhile, HBO is making a Hellraiser TV series and David Gordon Green, who directed uh, Halloween Kills and, and the 2018 Halloween is directing the pilot episode of that, and he's also directing a few other episodes. So David Gordon Green, he's out there doing uh, publicity for Halloween Kills, and the Hollow and uh, the Hellraiser projects came up, the the dueling Hellraiser projects, and uh, he had a quote about it where he said, "quote It's going to be fascinating because it's a different platform, different concept, different creators, but the same properties. I'm not sure where that ends up and how that goes." but I'm very curious. It's a fun cultural experiment. Uh, and he said a few other things, but you can, you can read their full quote on slash home.com. So, oh yeah. So he chalked it up as, you know, he's not really worried that there's, there's competing Hellraisers. He thinks it's going to be interesting. There's going to be two different takes on this material on the horizon. I was trying to think, Chris, if this has ever happened before. And the closest thing that I could come up with was is like the um, the equivalent of like the Deep Impact Armageddon thing, right. where like multiple projects have tackled the same type of subject matter before. But this is so specific because it is literally the same franchise being explored in two competing elements with different creative teams and everything. It's not just the basic idea. It's actually Hellraiser, the property. Can you think of of any instance where this has happened before? Man, I'm racking my brain and I can't because it's such a unique thing because it's all about like, you know, who has rights to what? I mean, the only thing I can think of is, you know, we got that child's play remake uh, in 2019. Mm -hmm. And we also have like the Chucky TV show now, but that's not like, the same time it's close but not quite the same time and yeah the only thing i can think of that's coming to mind is i remember (laughs) this is so the movie elizabeth with kate blanchett about queen elizabeth came out the same year as shakespeare in love where judy dench also played the older (laughs) queen elizabeth and like they were they were both nominated for oscars for playing that role and judy dench actually won even though she's in Shakespeare in love for like five minutes. So wow. that's like the only thing I can think of that comes to mind. <laughs> that's pretty good. Yeah. Um, so are, are you a Hellraiser fan, Chris? I remember seeing the first movie and thinking that it was pretty um, intense. I saw it when I was younger uh, and I was just sort of like blown away by like the uh, just the concept of it. It's so like um, spine tingling and, and sort of like gory, like it leans into the gore in a big way. But I've really only seen the first I think I've only seen the first Hellraiser movie and there are several in this franchise, but I assume as a big horror guy, you probably know a lot more about this. Yeah. I like Hellraiser in theory. I think the first one uh, is good. The second one is good. Uh, The third one has its moments, but the franchise as a whole is a, is a big mess. So there's a lot of room for improvement. So I'm all in on both of these versions really, because I'm just curious to see what these, you know, these two very different takes on Hellraiser 
turn out to be. So uh, real quick, before we move off of this, um, I, I know that you're familiar with David Bruckner's work. You're obviously familiar with David Gordon Green's work. Do you think that one of these two Davids is better equipped to handle a Hellraiser story? I kind of think David Bruckner is better suited, especially after um, the Nighthouse, which has, it's not really like Hellraiser at all, but it does have some sort of like issues with like architecture and stuff, which is sort of design and stuff like that is built into the Hellraiser story because it has like that puzzle box, which is a big part of the mythology and stuff like that. I think sort of makes David Bruckner a little more suited. And, you know, I like David Gordon Green. I like his 2018 Halloween. I seem to like Halloween kills more than most people, but nothing I've seen from him so far screams Hellraiser to me. But then again, nothing he made before Halloween seemed like Halloween to me. So, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe, you know, maybe he's, he's, he's got something secret that he hasn't shown us yet. I don't know. Yeah, man. And he's working on that new Exorcist trilogy. It's like, he's, you know, using, going through and just like checking off all these major uh, horror properties. That's really interesting. But, um, all right. So let's talk a little bit more about Dune. We mentioned it, uh, earlier in the episode, but, uh, we've been talking a little bit about Dune part two, because this new movie that's coming out today is very definitively just the first half of, uh, of the, the Frank Herbert uh, uh, science fiction novel. And, and uh, there's been a lot of discussion even on this podcast about whether or not we're ever going to see Dune Part 2. And Anne Sarnoff, who is the CEO of Warner Media, uh, said in an interview very, very recently, I think either today or yesterday, uh, her quote is, will we have a sequel to Dune? If you watch the movie, you see how it ends. I think you pretty much know the answer to that. So that's her quote. And that to me sounds like this movie ends on a cliffhanger and Ansarnoff is not interested in letting that cliffhanger go unresolved. Uh, Chris, I know you've expressed some uh, concern and, and worry about like whether or not we're actually ever going to get the chance to see the completed version and the full version of the story. Do these comments uh, ease your nerves at all? Yeah, I mean, you know, it definitely sounds like that, but you know, they could always walk it back to. I do think... I think right now they've already made the decision and they're literally just waiting for opening weekend, which is this weekend. And then once it opens, they're going to finally make that announcement just because it's certainly, you know, so far the film has been doing okay with advanced ticket sales and overseas showing. So it certainly doesn't seem like it's going to flop. So I hope they make it. Otherwise, uh, have you seen this? Yet? I have not. I'm, not, I'm yeah. just going to watch it. Tonight. Right. Yeah. That's right. So, once you see it, you're going to be like, boy, I hope they make a sequel. Otherwise, this is this is not a complete movie. It's, it <laughs> literally just ends once it's like it literally ends halfway through the story. So hmm. I really I really hope they make a sequel. Otherwise, we're not getting a whole movie. And that's going to be a little uh, disappointing. Yeah, I think, you know, you and I were both talking about like, man, why didn't they just shoot this back to back? Like Warner Brothers, they, they should have ponied up and, and sort of like worked this out in such a way where. Uh, it sort of uh, aligned with Denis Villeneuve's original plan, which was to shoot both these films at the same time and then release them, you know, one after the other. I think one like a year after the other or something. Uh, of course, COVID came around and, and everything got sort of thrown into chaos. But I think he gave an interview recently that we wrote about on Slash Film where I'm paraphrasing him, but he was basically saying like, I'm glad that that didn't happen because he was so tired by the end of making this first part of Dune that he thinks he would have uh, maybe compromised on some of his 
instincts or filmmaking decisions or something if he were to have rolled directly into the production of another movie. So maybe this will be a blessing in disguise and sort of a best case scenario if this Dune sequel actually does come to pass and and he's able to come back and get everybody back and it's just like a you know a, a pure continuation um, because he will have more stamina and uh, and and will have his um, his tank refreshed you know instead of yeah. uh, being forced to to uh, to roll right into it like the original plan but um, all right so uh, let's talk about our final story here which is David Chase is in talks with HBO Max to do something Sopranos related tell me about that Chris yeah so at the beginning of this month of you know October uh, we got word that David Chase had just signed a brand new deal with um, Warner Media, who you know, owns HBO. And uh, the deal was for him to create new TV shows and movies. And immediately everyone was like, does that mean more Sopranos? But there was no you know, word one way or the other on that. Uh, but now, um, uh, Ann Sarnoff, who we just talked about, probably during that same interview, uh, mentioned that, <clears throat> quote, we're talking with David Chase about a new series, Sopranos related on HBO Max. And uh, that's all Ann Sarnoff says. She didn't say one way or another what it's going to be. However, in the past, um, and especially when The Many Saints of Newark, which is the, the Sopranos prequel movie, was coming out, David Chase was asked multiple times, like, would you want to do even more Sopranos stuff after this? And he said multiple times, the only thing he'd be interested in is another prequel story, probably about Tony Soprano in his twenties because uh, many saints in Newark, he's a teenager and um, Michael Gandolfini, who is James Gandolfini's son and plays uh, the young Tony Soprano in many saints in Newark also said, you know, if they wanted him to come back and play the role again, he would definitely do it at least one more time. So, uh, you know, nothing is a hundred percent official yet, but it certainly sounds like that's the way the wind is blowing and we're either going to get a movie or a TV show that once again is serves as a prequel to the Sopranos story. So, well, I guess we'll have to wait a little longer to find out what it is really going to be, but that conversation is ongoing. So one of the other things David Chase said was the only, there's only one way that I would do it. And that was if uh, Terrence winter and I could write the script together that I would do. So um, that seems to be, you know, like the, the, uh, the like sticking point, the, the main factor in whether or not this is actually going to happen. Um, and Terrence Winter has, you know, he worked on the original Sopranos. He worked on Boardwalk Empire. He he's like one of the the big sort of heavy hitter writers in Hollywood. So uh, it makes sense that he would want to uh, have Winter by his side here. So Chris, you know, as somebody, I'm I'm still uh, halfway through the second. I'm about halfway through the second season of this, this, my first watch of the Sopranos right now. So I don't have all of the uh, the knowledge of this franchise that you do. I'm wondering if there's any part of you that uh, that looks at this announcement or this poten- this potential show uh, sort of askance a little bit. Like how much of, are you worried at all that this is just another example of, um, uh, how, how would you say it? Like intellectual property. Yeah, well, yeah, sort of, yeah. In- intellectual property being, um, being used or overused or mined or overmined. Uh, do you think there's actually like real, um, valuable creative uh, storytelling uh, avenues to be explored in this in-between period between Many Saints of Newark and when the, the Sopranos show begins. Yeah, you know, it's tough because there's a part of me, and not just with the Sopranos, it's with everything really, that is okay with things ending. I get I get really burned out. And it seems like it's more recent. More recently, it's become a bigger problem where 
there's just this constant push to revive things that have ended. Like, oh, are we going to get more the office? Like, just, you know, just let things end. It's mm-hmm. okay for things to end. And, you know, there's a part of me that's like, you know, The Sopranos, it had its moment. It, it's, it has its place as one of the best shows ever. It's, you know, the show that pretty much ushered in the, the peak TV era. You know, uh, it, its legacy is secure. We don't really need more of it. However, you know, I liked The Many Saints of Newark. I was a little skeptical, but, and I know a lot of people are sort of mixed on that movie, but I really liked it. And I really liked uh, Michael Gandolfini's performance because that could have gone really wrong. It could have, you know, it could have backfired terribly. Yeah. You know, it could have been ste- nothing but a stunt. Yeah. Him stepping into his father's shoes and all that stuff. But he did a really good job with that performance. And if he wants to do more and David Chase wants to do more and he can get Terrence Winter to come back and they do at least one more thing. Uh, you know, I'm, it's going to be hard for me to be like, I'm not going to watch that because I will absolutely <laughs> watch that. You know, at the same, you know, it's, it's, it's conflicting. Cause like I said, I, I do think it's okay to let things end and not just keep things going for the sake of keeping, keeping them going. But if everyone's on board and if they have a good script, a good idea, you know, I, I, I'm all for it. I don't think you can get like multiple seasons out of that. Maybe like a mini series season, like, you know, like eight episodes and then we're done. But mm-hmm. Whatever they do, I'm I'm curious to check it out just because of who's involved. You know, if it was like all new people and it was just like we're just doing the Sopranos, I'd instantly be like, this is probably gonna suck. But the fact that it's the people involved with the original show gives yeah. it you know, gives it that that certain credibility. Yeah, I'm I'm a little worried, Chris, because I'm definitely in the same boat as you in terms of like being slightly exhausted by the the sort of overuse of IP, but everything that I've read recently seems to point that in the direction that uh, we're only going to get more of that. <laughs> like yeah. it's only just be going to, you know, going to become an even more widespread thing. And uh, you know, if we want to watch like a, um, a film noir movie for adults, it's going to be the Batman. And it's yeah. just, you know, that kind of uh, storytelling, like slipped in to this skin of a familiar IP. So um, I guess we got to celebrate the, the, um, potentially good things you know while we can like in the in the rare instances where they come up where like you said the the same creative team is is potentially involved here so uh this sounds like maybe a a best case scenario in a um a pop culture landscape that is going to look pretty bleak and maybe increasingly bleak over the next few years in terms of like original stuff but um but yeah i mean I, i guess like you said, it's, it's going to be hard to be like, no, I'm not going to watch this when it yeah. comes out. So, uh, all right. Yeah. I think that's going to bring us to the end of today's episode of slash film daily. You can find more about all the stories that we mentioned on today's show at slash film.com and linked inside the show notes of this episode slash film daily is published every weekday, bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. I actually wrote a big trailer breakdown of the uncharted trailer. Uh, I'm, I didn't want to put Chris through talking about that because I know you have no f- real familiarity with those games, but uh, I enjoyed the trailer and um, and I, I wrote up this whole thing sort of comparing it. What the, the imagery that's on display there with a lot of the stuff, uh, little plot points and references that happen throughout the games that exist so far. So you can check that out. I'll link to that in the show notes as well. You can subscribe to Slash on Daily on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, and uh, mailbag topics to us at peter at slashfilm.com. Make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. 
Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends, spread the word. Thank you all for listening, and we will talk to you tomorrow. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.